Welcome to Milkmaid's Podcast. I'm Tara, your homesteader from Western Montana. And I'm Steph, a farmer from Western Wyoming, and we're your host of the Unconventional Homesteading Podcast. I was just bragging about how I have it together this time. Spoiler alert, we don't have it together. Not even a little bit. Welcome to May. We are not okay. (laughs) (laughs) Not one bit okay. Mm -mm. No, not okay. But here we are. Hi, Stephanie. Hey, Tara. This week, we are shouting out, please excuse me if I say this wrong. Please correct me if I say it wrong. But I did look it up on the, do you ever look up translation things on YouTube? I do all the time. Oh, yeah. Or like even just the Google. Pronunciation. That's what I mean. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. So this is where I got it from. But the word is Passamaquoddy maple located in Jackman, Maine. So Stephanie found them because she was looking for maple syrup. So we both made purchases of large (laughs) amounts of amazing, sustainable Mm -hmm. maple syrup. Good find, Stephanie. Yes. I'm so excited. Yeah. I don't think I've ever been this excited for a package. I know. I ordered the gallon sized. But let me tell Mm -hmm. you about the history of Passamaquoddy maple. This is a business owned by the Passamaquoddy tribe in Maine. So their roots go really far back and their ties to these trees. The Passamaquoddy people have deep roots in the area where they hunted, fished, gathered food and medicine. So everything they needed to survive was there. And it was basically an indigenous supermarket for them. So they used their land and they used it really well. Like they were thriving there. For 500 years, the degradation of their land and the way of their lives has made it difficult to rely on their indigenous economy that once thrived. However, in 2013, the Passamaquoddy tribe created an economic development project utilizing the 65,000 acres in Maine to harvest sap from Magan. I think that's what they call maple trees. There's always a sacred name given to these trees that are being tapped or used by indigenous tribes because this is very sacred to indigenous tribes. However, at the time, they had no equipment, so the tribal leadership worked tirelessly to raise funds. And in 2014, they broke ground and purchased sustainable tapping equipment, built sugar houses, and got a bottling facility. So if you look on their Instagram, you can see a lot of the pictures of them using this facility. It's actually really interesting how they get the sap boiled down and into bottles like that. Do you know anything about maple syrup? I do. Production? Yes. You do. Because. Okay. I know nothing. And I've been just like a kid in a candy store, maybe pun intended. Right. Uh, reading about this today. The only reason I know about it is because of my kids' homeschool. The, oh, that's right. Yes. Yeah. It's really focused on voices. It's called River of Voices, this curriculum that I use to teach history. And Mm -hmm. it is really focused on minorities, which I find super important because we all know about the old dead white dudes, right? Right. But I had no idea about all of this maple syrup making. And there's a wonderful book uh, at the end of this segment. I will share a couple of resources so you can learn about that with your children. There's an excellent even like PBS Kids episode on it. And my kids are so good at understanding this. Actually, when I was doing this research for this episode – they looked at all the maple trees and we just learned about this company together. It was really fun. That's awesome. So this is all being done on tribal land in Maine. 
and it's all ran by these tribal people. Since they started, they have sustainably tapped over 10,000 trees, produced thousands of gallons of syrup, and created six full-time jobs for Passamaquoddy people. They are certified organic producers in Maine. You can purchase on their website. So what I got was a gallon option, and it comes in a big plastic jug. Doug and I were obsessed with this little log house tin. (laughs) It's so cute. And then Stephanie, of course, got the cute little maple syrup bottles. And Mm -hmm. my youngest made me buy a little bottle that was a maple leaf. So (laughs) he really wanted that one. Those are really pretty. They have candies, maple sugar, and seasonal holiday gifts. I think that the seasonal holiday gifts go really fast. So when it's around that time to buy those gifts, I'm definitely going to get on there Mm -hmm. and get them really fast. Because who doesn't love some maple sugar? Like, and the special little treats like that that's so amazing and the story behind it is even more empowering my absolute favorite gift to receive is a consumable gift yes because like chances are that people aren't it's it's easy to just collect a bunch of stuff that you don't need right and consumable stuff that you may not buy for yourself right like i may not go out and buy maple candies but um to receive them i think is so nice something that you can enjoy yeah and i think something my favorite like a business like this where i really feel like my dollars are being spent well and like this i really believe in and i'm so glad that you found it stephanie yeah so really quick their website is passamaquoddymaple.com that will be in the show notes because that is more lengthy and harder to spell so please check them out i cannot stress this enough (laughs) how important this business is and of all the businesses nobody pays us to give these shout outs we truly just find these and right Stephanie and I just really try to support businesses that we believe in. And if anything, it's financially hurting us, which is fine. Like, we're not. Right, because we order from them every every time. time. (laughs) I know. So it's great. And I'm so happy to find these businesses. So the book that I read with my kids to learn about this is called Inatog's Gift of Sugar, Traditional Native Sugar Making by Laura Waterman Whitstock. The thing about this book is it's out of print. So if you wanted to get it on Amazon, it's like $700. No joke. Are you serious? I swear on my life. All of these books are really hard to find. Like these, especially native traditional books are just out of print. We kept stumbling into that problem. But luckily, we have libraries. And I think most states now are doing the lending library. Like you can register and then they'll ship it to your local library because libraries are badass. Yes, big fans. Big fans. (laughs) So I will have a link in the show notes to that book. It's a Goodreads review, and then you can get the name of it and then get it from your local library because you're not going to spend $700 on this book. It's a really good way (laughs) to learn the history of these books or of these trees. This one is specifically in Minnesota. So same process, just different areas. So it's really cool that these indigenous tribes did their own thing in each area. And it's such a rich history of indigenous people. So please check that book out. And also the second one, do you watch Molly of Denali with your daughter? I can't get her hooked onto it. Like she'll watch it for a minute. Well, she's like so obsessed with Daniel Mm -hmm. Tiger. Obsessed. She cried over the castle falling. Yeah. The block castle falling. I can see her doing that. Literal tears (laughs) over that today. Oh, poor baby. I know. My youngest is really obsessed with Molly of Denali. And they had an amazing mm-hmm. episode on tree tapping. It's called Sap Season. So if you just put that into your like smart TV or whatever, it'll come up, I'm sure. And that was a really great one too. And it, 
what I like about Molly Denali is they explain all of the reasons why they're doing what they're doing and how they used to do it and how they do it now. So that's a great one too. Yeah, totally. So like we were saying, we don't get paid for this. If you guys have a shout out idea that you want us to know about, you can reach out to us, uh, Milkmaids Podcast, both on Instagram and Facebook, or milkmaidspodcast at gmail.com. Cool. Don't forget to leave a review. Yep. Rate, review, rescribe. Rescribe every time. (laughs) Sticking with it. (laughs) What's your favorite part about spring, Stephanie? Probably making sure things are alive. I should clarify that. That sounded awful. Perennial. (laughs) Perennial. You don't check on your animals until spring. (laughs) No, I just stay in the house. Yep. Eating my bonbons, (laughs) drinking hot toddies. I don't leave. Never. No, like, so perennials. I'm obsessed with perennials. And our climate is so harsh that it's always a guessing game as to what's going to live and what's not going to live. I mean, I was having dreams about it this spring when there was still snow. Yes, you were. Did I tell you the, the rhubarb story? You told everyone the rhubarb story. Okay, Stephanie, it was, on yeah. our, it was on our podcast. Yeah, good. Perfect. Yes. Perfect. Yeah, so I'm like hyper obsessed You really that. are. We're just waiting to see it. And there are still things that aren't up yet. It's just colder there. I'm still waiting yeah. on it. It's so cold still. Yeah. So anyhow, that's probably my favorite part. What's your favorite part? Hummingbirds. Dude, I just got my very first hummingbird really? feeder for Mother's Day. Oh, yeah. yay. You have to start it. It's right it. in front of my kitchen window. Do it. I'm sure you'll get yeah. some. They're just such amazing creatures. No, they're there. Yes. We have them. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Actually, but here I am hijacking your story. My daughter's obsessed with both bees and owls, but I don't really think it's entirely just owls. It's all birds in general. Okay. Um, But she'll see a bird and she goes, whoo, whoo. <laughs> Even though that's like the owl sound, right? So it started with owls. Now she thinks all birds are owls. And um, Brian was trying to get her excited about this hummingbird that was at the window, right? Like, look, 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 there's a hummingbird. And um, he's like, she wasn't looking in the right spot or whatever. He's like, I don't know why you don't get this. It's the perfect combination between an owl and a bumblebee. <laughs> oh, my god! And if you were to describe a hummingbird, I mean. I mean, owl's kind of far-fetched, I mean, but bumblebee yes it's a bird we have to incorporate the (laughs) The owl and all birds are owls that's adorable so my gosh do you have hummingbird feeders yeah a lot but my grandma used to live really close to here and she used to be obsessive about feeding the hummingbirds oh seriously obsessive so the more you feed them the more that they repopulate and then they'll keep coming back to the same spot their babies and everything yeah so i have like over 45 feeders no i have four feeders over i was gonna say good lord yes i really am obsessive about feeders (laughs) you have 45 hummingbirds over yeah there has to be yeah we have a really pretty orange one just once you start feeding them and i take really good care of my feeders i'm obsessive like i'll clean them every two or three days and boil the sugar water and get it all going yes so we have a lot i really look forward to that like i know that there's hope in the world when i see hummingbirds Right. No, that's amazing i've really i've had mine for a week or what however long it's been a week now yeah and They've, it's been crazy. It's been so fun to watch. So what's been going on in your farm <laughs> other than the hummingbirds? Bullshit. That's what's been going on. Bullshit. It continues. Dixie's problem of the week. New segment. Poor Dixie. So yeah, she had two episodes of like really low blood sugar. And I used to be an EMT. So it's very similar to when a human has low blood sugar. So I think that was good that I could translate it to an animal. Yeah. They're just stumbling. They act drunk. Like people confuse them for drunk people. Um, Her eyes were darting. So the first time I got a keto tube down her in CMPK, it seems to help her for some whatever reason. And then the second time, same thing. And now I'm giving her shots of thiamine. That seems to be helping her eat. It's just always an issue. So Mm -hmm. I've tried reaching out to other people 
my vet's not really sure. The other people aren't really sure what to do. So what seems to help is that I just stopped milking her point blank. And a lot of people are like, don't do that. She's going to get mastitis. And she's doing yeah. really well because it is like if I milk her, she gets sick. There's no way around that. Right. So you're, I mean, that's like a guarantee. The mastitis is a maybe. Exactly. It's like you got to pick your poison here. Yes. So Mm -hmm. I just decided like, okay, but if I do that, she might die. And if she has mastitis, at least maybe there's a fix. Like, yeah. So that's kind of where we're at with that. But on the plus side, my milk test came back clean, very clean. I sent it Monday before prior to this. It was like literally an hour after I sent it off is when she decided I'm gonna try and die today so yeah we are not milking but at least i know that i'm still good at it i guess (laughs) and she's healthy in that department she's very healthy in that department yes so that's good enough it is at least you got something yeah something on my side right and then one of my kids and i we worked on the garden and planted a lot of onions we got a lot of lettuce in and we got a lot weeded It, it just continues this is like the stage where it's just grass more grass and more grass and more grass so we're just working on that and then we moved their the twins' 4-H pigs, and they were super happy and super chill. So they're excited to be on the field. I bet. What about you? Well, this week's kind of been one of those weeks where, from our balance episode, like... Uh, it's unbalanced as shit? Well, yeah, but like, <laughs> I've been a really good wife and mom this week, but not necessarily a great farmer. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, it comes in waves, right? So I, like, did homeschool with my kid every single day, and then we did something fun. Like, we went to the park. We went out to lunch. We went to the creek. We went to our creek oh, yeah. of the house. Like, we made s'mores tonight, right? Like, yeah. I had dinner on the table every night this week. So it's, like, celebrating those little victories sometimes. Yes, but, that's um, awesome. However, the farm didn't, wasn't necessarily as productive as it could have been, but that's okay, because last... Really, the last several months have been all farm, so. Seriously. Seriously. As far as the farming goes, uh, the big excitement of the week was the vet came out on Wednesday and did vaccines on our horses and some of our other animals, so that's always an ordeal. And then we have been doing a ton of weeding, too. That was, like, the only true uh, farming activity that I got done this week was uh, was weeding. So ours is, like, grass, too. It's just like, mm-hmm. you just fight the grass. The grass is horrendous. Yeah. So anyways, I liberated the strawberries. <laughs> I have. They can uh, breathe now. The asparagus. Yeah, the strawberries are bad. The asparagus, I unearthed them. They're just barely cracking the surface, though. This asparagus. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, that's crazy. It's so crazy. Yeah. Like my family in Oregon's already eaten theirs. Their seasons like came and gone. <laughs> Done. You know what yeah. I mean? <laughs> my, Done. Mine's barely alive. That was another one I was really excited to see come up. Yeah. And then the, we made a whole, not. I, I, like, printed out a satellite image of our property, Yes, right? you did. Yeah. And we drew out, like, where we're going to do a whole bunch of fencing projects and all of that. So fencing's exciting. Fencing's something Brian's really good at, and I just kind of get in the way. So <laughs> he's going to take over um, on that. But we have a plan. So he worked on the fencing stuff for a little while today, got some holes punched with the tractor. Oh, but wow. we were we were laughing because... Like, right, he's going to go dig some holes for these fence posts, which require the tractor and the auger. But the tractor, like, needed hydraulic fluid. (laughs) And then the tire was low, so he had to go get the air compressor. Well, the air compressor has something wrong with it, so then he has to fix the air compressor. And, like, it's this – it seems sometimes, like, every every project – yeah, it's like any step that's supposed to take 30 seconds needs a repair. So that's springtime, though, yeah. I think, for probably most farms. Anyhow, I don't have a smooth transition. So speaking of dairy cows – Yes. <laughs> dairy Speaking cows who dairy cows try are... to die all the time. <laughs> right. So, yes. Uh, the first one does. We're 
We went on a pretend shopping trip. Oh, yes. This week for dairy breeds. It was actually really fun. I had a lot of fun researching this one. It was so, it was, it was surprising to me because uh, you picked this topic because I've been. Yes not inspired the last two weeks and you were like well hey what about dairy breeds i'm like okay fine like that sounds okay like i'm sure we could talk about it you know but i had a ton of fun researching i it, did so. too i'm glad that we did this and actually i did this because in the raw milk montana group this person's like well can you tell me what breed to get and i was like no i just like i can't just uh, be like you need a holstein you need a right. milking shorthorn like you're in charge of this, yes Tara. me <laughs> before we get started did you choose a dexter before you found no Dixie? No, I wanted no. a mini jersey, but right. on Craigslist, the things were limited. And when I got Dixie, she's half mini jersey and half Dexter. Don't listen to me, maybe, because like she's super sick and it's been literal hell. But she just seemed to have more time spent on her than the other mini jerseys in the area. And yeah. it just seems like her owner was more knowledgeable. So that's why I went with her. And then also being a mini, that didn't seem as intimidating to me personally. Right. So... What about you? Well, I mean, like, so I didn't necessarily, well, kind of. So we, I mean, lived, have lived several different lives since we started with the cow, right? But at one point we were having like a a funny farm, right? Like where kids could come visit or whatever. And it was in collaboration with another lady, but she wanted a mini cow as part of this little group of animals. And uh, I mentioned that to Brian and he like was researching mini cows that day. And that's how we ended up with chicken, right? So chicken's a mini Hereford. She's not even on this list Uh, and we love chicken, but Brian wanted a Hereford, right? And a mini Hereford is pretty stinking cool. So we had chicken and then I had decided that I wanted, well, it became very clear that chicken was pretty upset about being an only cow. So we, because we're those people, um, didn't want her upset. We bought her a friend. We bought her a friend. And at that point, I had decided that I wanted a jersey because there's really nothing like jersey faces are the literal cutest. Yeah. And that's really all I knew. I mean, I did. It wasn't that I, I did a lot of research, but not with I don't know if it wasn't with an open mind or wasn't with a knowledge base like a protein or butterfat content meant nothing to me at that point. Right. Yeah. Like I had never made any milk based products. I had never drank raw milk before. Like I had no basis. None of that meant anything. Yeah. So um, I really chose the breed Jersey based on the looks. And luckily my cow mentor had, she's also the one who got me the Nubian goats. Oh, okay. Um, but she had a herd of jerseys, right? So I was like, oh, perfect. She's got them right there. I'll just get one from her, right? A calf from her. And uh, she, through a series of events, had ended up with a mini jersey that she loved, but she wasn't sure how to incorporate a miniature into her full-size operation because every her parlor and everything was set up for a full-sized animal. So she, uh, knowing that I had chicken, talked to me about Maribel, and that's how I got Maribel. So that's how I got the mini jersey. Okay. It wasn't necessarily like you were that I went out looking for it. And then right now we have multiple mini jerseys from Maribel. But Virgie, or Guernsey, she was fairly well shopped for in the sense that we did a lot of research on the breeds. We may have considered um, an Irishar, but availability here is... They're hard to get. Yeah. So we had, like, I would say those were our two top. Yeah. But the Guernseys were right here. So we actually did shop for the Guernsey. But the rest of the cows, I feel like, were like you. was like kind of happenstance that you ended up with them. Yeah. Which is so. good, too. Like, if yeah. I had to do it all over again, I'd probably be more picky. And here's the thing. Like, I know more about shipping animals now. So I definitely right. would consider getting a special breed. I'll save it for the end, which I would choose. Huh? So okay. surprise, I guess. Surprise. Says me, who's having all these cow issues. Like, right. I swore off cows last 
week, but now I'm like, eh, maybe. All right. So what's our first cow? So we're going to jump into the classic, the Holstein, which are the massive black and white cows. They're on any advertisement for milk. You guys have seen them. So Happy cows come from California. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, they are. Yeah. And like when you look at kids' toys and stuff, like they're all Holstein. Yeah. They're even the like the beef that exists. cows. Like I know. I know. Do you not know how cows work? Nope, only whole Fun fact, though, all the burger that you eat from, like, if you get burger from, I don't know, Costco, just like a tube, burger tube, uh-huh. is from Holsteins. They're the butchered cows. Did you know that? Oh, okay. Wow. Yeah, I didn't yeah know they're that. all milking cows because they have to do something with that meat Yeah. at the end of the day. Yeah. So Holsteins come from the Netherlands originally, they think about 2,000 years ago. The first cow... Or the first Holstein ended up in America in uh, that was from Holland in 1852. And this is like my favorite story of the whole podcast that I think we're opening with, but whatever. So in May 1887, there was a cattle show, right? In Madison Square Garden. Of course, Madison they, Square Garden. Like that's the most random place to have a cow show. Well, I mean, yes, but it probably wasn't back in the I day, know. right? Just like imagine it now. Like, okay, we're going to have this <laughs> they cow show. They still have the dog, a big, the big dog show they there. They do, but that's different. Yeah. I feel like cows are not. I still think that's weird. Like <laughs> designed for that. Yeah. Anyways, <laughs> right. So that's where it was. So they invited like the top what they thought were the top four breeds, right? Which um, Holstein, Jersey, Guernsey, and Irish are. So the contest basically was to see who could produce the most milk and then the most butter too. Butter was a very important, highly valued product at the time. So there was a 2000 or sorry, a $200 prize, which sounds insanely, t- I should have looked it up. In Conversion rates, Stephanie. Right. What is that in today's money? I don't know. I'm not pausing to find out either. Not pausing. It's a lot of money back then. <laughs> Your best guess. Yes. Um, and, and then, right. So there was a $200 prize and then also this silver trophy if you won the butter category, right? That's correct. So the Jersey people were so convinced that the Jersey <laughs> was going to win that they carved a Jersey into the side of this silver, tr- <laughs> silver cup trophy. That is some big dick energy if I've ever heard it. <laughs> They're like, you know, we're just going to get this prepared ahead of time. We've got to draw our cow on this um, trophy. Oh, my God. Guess where it sits right now? Where? That cup sits in the office of the American Holstein oh Association. Oh, my God. Yeah, Could you Holstein imagine? Yeah, won both categories. So I think that's hysterical. Oh, that's so great. So anyways, but it, that win in particular was one that really prepare, propelled Holsteins forward made them very popular and like they like we were saying they are the dairy cow so nine out of ten dairies use Holsteins yeah so they're huge though if you haven't seen a Holstein in person you're like go find one you know what yeah they're like dinosaurs they're huge I um I went to go help a friend with one I could literally I'm five six I could literally go up to this heifer mind you she's not very old she's under two right and I go up to this heifer that just delivered and I could milk her standing up no joke (laughs) It's so crazy. No They're joke. so huge. It's a Doug-sized cow. Yeah, you don't think about it until you're, like, standing next to one. Yeah. The only thing is, like, the teats were, sh- like, shorter than a Tiny. goat teat. Because they're developed mm-hmm. not for hand milking. They're developed for machine milking. Right. So teat size doesn't matter, and they keep breeding short teats. So just keep that in mind. Like, I, I was amazed that my mini Dexter had longer teats than this cow yeah because the short teats are nice and easy to clean for the machine yeah so yeah and then what like they're the number one dairy cow because they're massive producers they produce like i mean an average cow will do nine gallons a day so you have plenty of cows that will do even more than that holsteins do have less protein 
and butterfat though, because they're so focused on amount that their body isn't necessarily producing quality. It's just, it's just focused on producing quantity, quantity, right. So uh, they are also quick maturing. Again, that's huge in the dairy world. The faster you can get them into production, the the more money they're worth, right? But I didn't know this. I read this today that the average production lifespan is only about four years before they retire them. Did you know that? I think it's just because they peak so early. And yeah. then after that, yeah, they're, they're just done. like road hard, put up wet. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yep. So one of the pros to a whole scene is that they can be used in beef herds to increase milking quality and people will cross beef with them quite frequently. Um, and they're big enough to handle that. So that's good. But a big con to them is, I mean, one thing is the, if you're looking to hand milk, you might reconsider because their udders are definitely designed for milking machines also because they've been so they're like the broiler of the cow world yeah that's a good way to put it yeah so they're they're they've been turned into a machine right and they do their job very effectively when they're in this when they are a cog of the machine and when you remove them from that cog they can have issues so they don't do as well on pasture they could they tend to have udder problems they tend to have calving issues they can have breeding issues. So they have a lot just, of stomach issues, like their what is it, displaced abdomen. They have a lot of that as an issue. Yeah, because they've been bred and developed to eat, you know, the stuff that they feed in dairy. Silage. What right, not what you would feed in a homestead setting. Exactly. So there's a part of me that's always wanted a Holstein because they're like so big and impressive. But that's that's kind of the health concerns and my inexperience with cow health issues and my lack of available resources in my area I will probably never own one yeah and that's a really good point too like I have a good bet but I'd never own a Holstein they're just harder on the land they seem to like get themselves in more trouble I they're kind of not as smart as other breeds like well I think it's because they've been raised in a barn exactly like for generations and generations and generations so then you put them out on a pasture and they don't have any idea how to survive exactly so yeah um, if you're running like a raw milk dairy and you want to add numbers, sure, maybe that'll be a great yeah. option for Volume. you. Yes. Yeah. But that's a great one. Yeah. What's the next one? So next, the second most popular cow in the dairy industry is the Jersey. And Jerseys are much, much smaller. Uh, whereas the Holsteins, like an average moderate sized Holstein is 1500 pounds. A jersey's like 800 to 1,000. Very fine animal. So they are the ones that they're typically a light brown or fawn color. They can have different colorations. They typically have like a black muzzle and like around their eyes, they look like they're wearing eye makeup. But they like, they're cows, but they look like deer. Like they have the most They really do, yes. Sweet faces. I will say that about a jersey. Jerseys originated on the Isle of Jersey, the Channel Islands. Uh, they were originally called an Al- Al- Alderney. Alderney cattle alderney cattle they're one of the oldest breeds brought to england back in the 1740s uh and they arrived in the u.s in the 1850s okay so they were actually introduced a little bit later than most other breeds to here yes yeah 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 to here i don't know anything about england (laughs) i know that i'm from there that's it (laughs) right i don't even know that so the interesting thing about jersey the isle of jersey and then Guernsey as well, which we'll talk about, is that they have like super strict importation regulations on cows. Yes. So the island only has jerseys on it, and there's a super strict ban on bringing jerseys or bringing any other cows in. You can't do it. And they just recently allowed you to import semen, but it still has to be jersey. So <laughs> it's like, it's just the craziest They're thing. They're like, we only like, want this whole area. our namesake. Right. Yeah. It's so funny to me. 
It would be like the whole state of Wyoming saying, like, you can only own this. You can only own Wyoming's. (laughs) Only milking buffaloes here. (laughs) Anyhow, and then where the cows actually came from, it seems to be that nobody has the slightest of clues. Um, Some people say Africa. Some people say India. Some people say other parts of Europe. It seems like we're never going to know that. So anyhow, they're on Jersey now. That's where they... That's where they're from. That's where they'll stay. So they produce significantly less. Um, an average seems to be around three gallons a day. There's plenty of jerseys, especially in dairy, in big dairies that do a little bit more than that for sure. Their milk is of what you would call of higher quality though, meaning that jerseys are known for their cream production. They really they're are. probably the best at producing cream. So it seems like Holsteins produce more cream because they're producing more gallons. It's not necessarily cream to milk ratio. Does that make sense? Right. And if you think about it, like your body has like, I mean, like if I gave you 20 bucks and me 20 bucks and we went into the same store, one of us could buy a whole bunch of small things or one big thing. Right. And it's the same thing. It's like the cow, a cow is only capable of doing so much. And then we've bred their body to differentiate where those resources are going. Yeah. So, yeah, the Holstein's making a ton and the Jersey's making um, the cream, yeah. which is the more more nutrient-dense stuff. So cream is, I mean, it's great for like ice cream and butter, right? Um, and, and a milk with a higher cream content is just better at making a lot of products like yogurt and even cheese, right? Yeah. So that is one reason that you would want a Jersey. And I would also say that if you are a homesteader and you're wanting to make your own products, right, that's a huge consideration, a cream line, because so much is made with cream. They are also t- tend to be healthier in, in the overall I general scope of I would argue that, but right, right. I am traumatized. Um, <laughs> you are traumatized, right? Uh, obviously, they are uh, still a cow, but they haven't been quite as commercialized as they're like a freedom ranger yeah that's a good way to put (laughs) it cow world Mm -hmm. right like they're not quite a hybrid but they're not quite a real chicken yeah yeah so anyhow the downside to a jersey right because i just told you about how amazing their cream is the downside is is that they're massive divas yes they're massive divas they spook at almost everything anytime you change the routine it's like a giant sit down conversation (laughs) where like you have to present your business plan i moved your food to the right instead of the left yes you're gonna have to get with the program deal yeah it's seriously (laughs) that big of a deal like i had a muck bucket placed um right like two foot up and i moved it two foot back absent-mindedly i didn't put it in the exact same location (laughs) She was like snorting and blowing coming into the, to the milk room. I noticed it right off the bat. <laughs> You're like, I didn't even like, know. across the milk room. Like, What is wrong with this you? This is not even affecting you to the slightest degree. It reminds me of the TikTok Anyways. that New Zealand guy made. Oh my God. Yeah. I wish I could learn how to link it. I don't know how to put that in. But I he's know. like crying. He's he's like, this is my impression of a jersey. And he's like, oh, I'm going to die. <laughs> It's so true. That's, that's a jersey. They're just they're just very dramatic animals. With that being said, they're typically very easy to handle. The, because and one of the reasons is honestly because they're smaller. Like even when they do, even when Maribel does like give me the, a massive fight, she like barely shifts my weight on the halter. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like whereas if Chicken wants to leave, she just leaves. You <laughs> I'm know? out. Like Maribel's <laughs> like yeah. So they are pretty easy to handle, which is good because they are dramatic so anyways jerseys are a great i i maintain jerseys are a good option for a homestead there's type of jerseys can be pulled or yep some of them can be pulled or horned, or horned. that's yep. something we didn't address earlier what about holsteins no i have no idea i've never i would s- imagine they're pulled right i've never well actually i've seen holsteins with horns 
So, so maybe there's options. But yeah, you can always have the horns removed. So if you do have an animal with horns, I would definitely suggest getting them removed because I've seen a lot of like homesteaders that have animals with horns and then they'll let their kids go out there and say hi to the cow. And the cow, absent, like they are, they'll move their head to try yeah. to hit flies just like a horse will. And they could gorge you easily. And you yeah. wouldn't even know it's coming. So I'm oh. sure there's people that successfully do it. And I guess if you're moving a cow from behind all the time, it's not a huge issue. But for us, we halter Dixie so she could never, ever have horns. Like, yeah, for us, horns yeah. aren't a thing here because my kids are so involved. And me too. Like, I'll be brushing her and she'll go to hit at a fly with her head and she'll, you know, accidentally hit me. And I think, gosh, what yep. if she had horns? She had a horn. Oh gosh! It would go right into my thigh. Yes. Yeah, or whatever. Exactly. Yeah, we're not we're not horn people either. We do have two goats with horns. Long story. They were really sick when they came to us as babies, and it was it was like if you dehorn them at this point, they'll die. Yeah, they were that it was sick. too much stress for their um, body. Exactly. And goats, in order to dehorn a goat as an adult, um, you have to cut. Well, a you have to find an unethical vet because the good ones won't even do it because it's relatively inhumane. Um, because they have to cut into the skull and expose the sinus cavity to do it. Jeez, it's a whole thing. Yeah, it's horrendous. So anyways, they have horns, but same story. They hit us all the time, just just turning their head. Like, they're the nicest goats, but just turning their heads. I've got several bruises. Yeah. So, and then um, Shirley, one of our goats, she gets her head stuck in the fence all of the time. Yeah. I just had to cut out a whole section oh, of the fence. Oh my gosh, yeah. And that mm-hmm. happens to a lot of people. With that. Yeah. And not even that, like tusks, tuskers. <laughs> tuskers. Yeah. <laughs> On pigs. Piggies. Yeah, piggies. So yeah. be careful of that. Just be mindful of that. And it's, yeah. if I had a really good cow that had horns, I wouldn't say no. Like I won't buy that cow because it has horns. I'd just find a right. way to get around it and be like, okay, kids, you can't go in the field with this cow because it has horns. So, yeah, just be aware. Yeah. What's next? Yep. So, next we have uh, the brown Swiss which I really didn't know that much about before this. I mean, I knew what they were and what they look like. They're kind of a mousy brown-gray color uh, with black points. If you haven't ever seen one before, you should look them up because the like silvery brown, they're really a unique color pattern. Yeah, my husband grew up with a couple of these. Oh, mm-hmm. did he really? Oh, interesting. And Holsteins, so. Yeah. So they're um, said to be one of the oldest dairy breeds or potentially the very oldest dairy breed. There's not a ton known about their history. <laughs> I looked and looked and looked. So... What we know is they originated in the Swiss Alps of Switzerland. Of course they did. Right. Um, okay, but can we hold brown. for this? Like, why is everyone so unoriginal in their names? It's not like <laughs> brown Swiss. It's not like the Kevin cow. It's always like, right. oh, let's name this cow after the place it came from. I know. And its color. And its let's color. Let's do that. Yep. Interesting. <laughs> so on the breed association page, they uh, said that historians placed them, their origin at four, uh, 4,000 B.C., Dang. which is like a very long time ago. I have no idea how they would have even figured that out, but I guess I'm not a historian. But maybe that's why. Maybe those were the word words that they had at their disposal, Tara, brown and Swiss. <laughs> that's only the maybe only four. words in the human human category. I mean, like. <laughs> now we're making fun of cavemen. <laughs> so um, they came to the U.S. in 1869. Okay. So they're, they're a, a late large breed to be introduced too. Over here. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. So they're a very large breed. They're not quite as big as a Holstein, but they're they're right there at about 1,300 pounds. They are also second in, in production in terms of volume at about seven gallons a day. I want to know why dairies aren't using them. Well, I, I just think they weren't 
potentially introduced or popularized. Like I know two dairies, one's all the way across Wyoming. Well, two, I, I know a lot of Swiss brown or brown Swiss dairy, Swiss micro brown. dairies, Swiss browns. <laughs> I know like three of them right off the top of my head. I don't even think I could tell you that many Holstein dairies, wow. honestly. Hmm. Yeah. Um, but they're like six cow micro dairies serving their community. Yeah. You know what I mean? I just think that they they ended up not being in all of those competitions. I mean, and maybe it's something as simple as they got to the States later than that big competition. I think it's right? because they had bad PR. Yeah, bad, right. Their marketing rep. It's shitty fire them right so i yeah i think that's that's a huge reason of it is that you know yeah they're just not popular they are known for milk with a super high protein content which makes them really good for cheese making i didn't know that part i didn't know today, that either so. i thought the guernsey was a cheese making cow they are as well and it's like kind of depends so certain cheeses you want high protein and low cream yeah and certain cheeses you want like balanced or certain cheeses you want more cream but the protein seems to be a big factor for cheese in particular so anyhow i think i know two of those dairies i was talking about started out as homesteaders okay with the brown swiss so i'm gonna say that they would make a great homestead cow for sure so my personal favorite a guernsey so we have one and I'm obsessed. You really with are. I really am. So they're slightly larger than a Jersey cow weighing around 1,200 pounds. They are, a, they're kind of classically colored in the sense that they're typically spotted like a Holstein, but they are more of an orange color, orange and white. So they also come from the Channel Islands, which I find interesting. Brian and I, <laughs> this is the nerdiest thing ever, but like one of our, I want to take this vacation is to go to both Guernsey and Jersey. <laughs> Just for the cow, like just to see all the cows. Hey, just here to see your cows. No big deal. I want to leave the farm. To go see cows. For like a full day of travel (laughs) just to go see more cows. I'm dying. That's hilarious. Idiots. (laughs) Idiots. So um, anyhow, they're from Guernsey. So um, they are thought to be a cross of a brindle cattle and a... Formantou de Lyon. Whoa. Cattle? Whoa. Did <laughs> you look up the that up. Pro- pronunciation of that? Oh, no. I have no idea. Oh. You said it really well, though. The jokester. If you say things really quickly. Nobody's going to call you out Sometimes people don't even have a chance to interrupt you and be like, actually. <laughs> Excuse me, but that's not how you say yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> right. So in um, 1700, this breed was officially recognized. And in 1789, it became illegal to import any other breeds to the island just to keep them pure. So it's the same thing as... They're like, no, wait, wait, we got the perfect breed. Everyone stop. Stop what you're doing. This is Guernsey Island. This is the Guernsey. Everyone get out. Get out. I like... Part of me is like, that's insane. And the other part of me secretly loves it. I do too. Uh, That's that's the level of petty I would be if I invented a breed. (laughs) If you had your own island and invented a cow breed, I would do the same. Oh my God. I get you, get uh-huh. Guernsey people. I get you. Yep. No, I'm all about it. <laughs> Vacation destination. So <laughs> Just don't import came... any Jersey semen. That would be bad. Oh, I will not have any Jersey on me <laughs> whatsoever. God, can you imagine? He'd probably pat you down and be like, ma'am, do you have any other cow semen on you? You'd be like, no. There's got to be a story of somebody trying to sneak semen into the island. They're like, there has to be. He got 10 years right? to life for bringing Holstein semen. Yeah, like, what does that charge look like? <laughs> semen smuggler. Could you imagine his snap, his shot for his going to jail? Like, <laughs> holding a nitrogen tank. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Well, that took a turn. <laughs> so the Guernseys are the best at being a pastured dairy cow. So... They have an incredible... Whoa. What did you just say? Credibility. <laughs> I'm not entirely sure. An incredible ability 
to turn grazed grass into milk. So they take a lot less feed per pound of milk than other breeds, which I thought was really cool, especially because coming from a miniature cow background, background, it was, yeah, perfect. It was uh, a question as to whether or not, you know, do we go with the full size because of how much more feed they need and whatever. But the Guernsey, as long as you have pasture for them, they they have the ability to turn that into milk, which is awesome. That's really cool. So, yeah, and stay in good condition. They have, like, the most easygoing and docile temperament ever. Virgie, right, so here's, I'm just going to riddle in with how much I love Virgie. My cow is the best. Everybody's just clicking fast forward. <laughs> I think they're probably like, I'm out about this man being arrested for importing semen to Guernsey Island. (laughs) Oh my God. So Virgie, when we got her, she was essentially two years old without ever being handled. So, because she came from a relatively big sized dairy. And within a week, I was touching her every everywhere. So they're just like so easygoing. And anything that happens, like you'll see Maribel and Penelope are too many jerseys, like spook. And Chicken's so obsessed with them that she's she like, just okay, I'll them. do this too. And this Virgie's just doing. like sitting there looking at me with her sweet cow She's eyes. like, sorry like, about that. Nothing's the matter. <laughs> yeah. Like she's just the chillest. She's the chillest cow. I lost where I was. I was so obsessed with talking about my cow. Golden Guernsey. You didn't talk about the milk. <laughs> okay. The most unique part about them is that they have a milk that has like a yellow to orange tint to yeah. it. And this has been marketed as Golden Guernsey milk, which... Sounds insane, right? To drink milk that's like yellow or orange. That yellow or orange color comes from um, their ability to incorporate a high beta carotene content, which beta carotene is essentially what contributes to vitamin A in our body, which is good for a lot of things. Especially our hair, eyes. Being raw. Like carrots, right? Everybody tells you to eat carrots for your eyesight. Yeah. Yeah, it's because of beta carotene. Okay. So it's the same. I didn't even know that milk could contain that. That's so cool. Right. No, and it's it seems to only be the Guernseys that do. So Guernsey milk is touted as being um, extra high in vitamins, right? They have like this ability to transport like beta carotene in there. So Ooh. that's a cool thing about them. What I will say is that you do need to educate your customers. If you So if you're a farm sc- on a farm scale with customers, you need to educate your customers as to why this milk is orange or yellow, right? Get them excited about that because... They've only ever drank stark white milk. Yeah. Right? Like most people have only ever drank stark white milk and eaten white eggs. Yep. Like it's the craziest thing. That's just what our. Or chi- like we were saying, chicken without pin feather spots. That's a thing too. Like people have never eaten chicken without yeah. that. Meat's supposed to look an exact certain way. Yeah. And the last thing that I'll say about the Guernseys too, which is pretty cool, is that most of them are A2A2. Can you explain what that is? Oh, God. That's a whole episode, though. Okay. So we won't explain it. Quick, it right. Quickly, I'll just say that it's two different protein types uh, that are found in milk that uh, there's no short way to do this. The A1, A1 is typically what's available and what you find. A2, A2 is what is popular right now because it's supposed to be easier digestible. So people with lactose problems can tend to drink A2, A2 milk and be fine. So that's a very scientific topic, though, that needs a lot of background to understand fully. So I'd be happy to nerd out on that for an episode, too, if we want to. But it really is. It's it's whole episode. Cool. So next, what was what would be my second choice if I didn't get the Guernsey was Ayrshire. They are a large cow, too. They're like 1,200 pounds, so Guernsey-sized. They are typically red and white, and um, it's mandatory for the breed that they're not any other colors. But you can find them in like a lighter red or a like a 
crimson red. Like they're the coolest looking. They're really pretty. Don't tell Virgie. (laughs) So they originated in the county of Eyre in Scotland and the breed became established and the first show was held in 1786. So at first they were known as Cunninghams and then Dunlops was their secondary name. But <laughs> they just can't get it together. Irishers. They're like, I don't know. No, call this I know. Dunlop. It just keeps changing. And none of them are even close. It's not like we're close to, <laughs> to the name. Let's just tweak it. So they first hit the scene in the U.S. in 1822 in Connecticut. And they seem to thrive there. And they've spread from Connecticut, obviously. Uh, but they thrive there because the climate was so similar to Scotland. But... You tend to find them much more in that pocket of the East Coast, for sure, than in other parts of the country, which is interesting that in all this time, they haven't seemed to migrated from yeah. there, but... They're just yeah, they're just chilling. They're happy there. Right. California has Holsteins. Connecticut. New England has Irishers. Yeah, it's interesting. They should call them the Connecticut's. The Connecticut's, right? Oh, gosh. So they produce like five to six gallons a day. They're also very high in protein, um, which is, again, good for cheese. And... <laughs> Along with the Guernsey, they have, they're a really good grazing breed as well. They're really good at turning grass into milk. Two things that they're really known for is excellent udder conformation, which is, I mean, really important for everything, but super important if you're hand milking for sure. And then they tend, they're known to have easy calving and vigorous calves, which is huge because it's a giant pain in the ass when you don't have that. So Yeah, it is. What I did not know about them, my tip of the day or my fact of the day that I learned was that steers in this breed are often successfully marketed as beef. Oh. And and they're they're known to have a better carcass than other dairy cows okay. as a beef cow, which I thought was really interesting. Okay. Because when you look at them, they don't necessarily look that like, they don't look like a beef cow. No, not you know at all. I mean? but, no. Yeah. Just interesting. So that's kind of cool. Like if you are on a homestead level and are thinking about, you know, what do I do if I get a steer calf or a bull calf, right? Yeah. That's something to consider. That's a cool option. They used to also be known for their beautiful 12-inch long horns. They have like super unique horns, but most are dehorned this day- these days. Cool. So they're normally seen without their horns yeah. because of the reasons we talked about. But yeah, they were definitely my second choice. They're just really pretty. Yeah, they're gorgeous. Yeah. They're gorgeous. So all the breeds that we've talked about so far are all strictly dairy cows. They're considered dairy specialists. And now Tara's going to talk about dual purpose cows. So the first and foremost is usually what most people will breed. So say somebody has a mini jersey or a jersey and they know that they need more meat in the freezer. What they'll do is borrow or get semen from a Dexter bull and impregnate their jersey and then eat the baby because Dexters are a mini. They're really good for homesteads and they're also really good for milking, but most often they're used for meat and they're really easy on your land. They're really easy to feed over winter. Like we have two steers on my in-laws place right now and they hardly ate anything, anything. And they're on like what, three or four acres right now and they are doing really, really well. They're just getting really fat. So a lot of times people will breed two Dexters just for that reason. They're a dual purpose breed, meat and milk. The really interesting thing is they used to be associated with a Kerry breed. So think Kerry Gold, like the butter. Do you know what Kerry Gold yeah, butter is? Yeah. Yeah. It is really based in Ireland. However, they are both two different breeds with Dexters being most popular in the United States. I think there are more Kerrys in Ireland and that's really where that whole Kerry 
gold company came from. I just thought that was really fascinating. That's cool. Yeah. They originated in Ireland and they're called the Poorman's cattle. And that's exactly why we have something like that. Because <laughs> we're poor men, right? They don't take up much land and you really don't have to feed them as much as you would like a Holstein. Like a Holstein can blow through a whole square bale in a day and still be really hungry and you'll have to grain them like insane amounts just to make sure that they're healthy. Typically they're black, red, or dun colored. Mine is red and that's usually what you'll see. Black ones are kind of rare. I haven't seen a... I don't think I've ever seen a black Yeah, so they're actually in the Dexter group that I'm on and on Facebook. Somebody was looking specifically for a black one. So that's the thing about dairy ladies is that they'll be so particular on this one kind that they'll have to like find it in the United States to get it. It just, it's just like horse ladies. Like you just really get stuck in what you want, which I totally get and more power to you. Either they can have horns or they can be naturally pulled. Mine is naturally, naturally pulled and we bred her to a bull that was naturally pulled. And that was a really nice for me because we don't even have to mess with the calf being dehorned no and let me clarify because i don't think we've specified this so pulled p-o-l-l-e-d means that they are born without horns they will never grow horns yes born without the ability to grow horns right so you never have to dehorn them or anything and the term is called p-o-l-l-e-d pulled yes yeah for any of the newbies because i i went a long time thinking it was p-u-l-l pulled Uh uh-huh and i had no idea that it was like a natural thing that occurred anyways because your your jersey she is she was horned right so maribel's horned she's she's dehorned right yeah so but genetically she's horned and we bred her to well no i bought her she was bred to a pulled homozygous pulled bull and then penelope her calf is pulled which means that maribel is heterozygous okay horned right yeah. so like she won't always um, it's not like a dominant trait so being horned is dominant oh it is yes okay. yes but like punnett square how do i describe this so punnett square she could either get the calf could either get the big b okay from maribel yeah. or the little b from maribel and she was only going to get the little b's from the dad okay right yeah so she had a 50 50 50 percent chance we did the same thing with half calf this last breeding we did on her and half calf has horns. Yes, of course she does. So she, she does. <laughs> she has every feature wrong with her. Um, poor cow. So yeah, so the term pulled just means whether or not genetically they have horns. And you have to be careful because sometimes they have horns, but are heterozygous horned, which means that they could produce a pulled calf. So that's interesting. Anyways, that's a little science interjection. <laughs> this has been science with Steph. <laughs> Seriously. It's been a while. (laughs) It's been a while. So the interesting thing about them is they can be short-legged or long-legged. Mine is a long-legged one, but she's also... Wait. What? Dixie's a long-legged one? Yes. Why is that shocking to you? Does the short-legged one... They walk like... Have like an alligator syndrome? Yeah. (laughs) Just belly drag? It's called dwarfism. Like, Dexters are known for this. I didn't think that the dwarfs survived. No. I keep cutting you off. Keep going. So there's a whole (laughs) realm of dwarfism. You can have... In, okay. in Dexter cattle, they're known for this, and this is really important to know if you get Dexter cattle. Yeah. They can be naturally dwarfism and be fine. Like, you can milk them. There's a lot shorter ones than Dixie, and she's pretty short. I don't understand. Yeah, but there's also ones that if you bred them together, if they both... If you bred a mother and a father together that had the Chandro, mm-hmm. I, what would you say? The t- Chandro gene together, yeah. it will always be fatal. It's called the bulldog syndrome in the baby mm-hmm. and 
usually they abort this baby that looks like a bulldog. It literally looks like a bulldog. Yeah, their faces are like all rolled up into each other. Yeah, it's really, really yeah, sad. The craziest thing. But you can mm-hmm. have a dwarf Dexter and breed it yeah. to an animal that's not a dwarf. Like, that's not Chandro positive. So yeah. the reason I'm saying that is because if you are breeding something to something that you know is Chandro positive, you don't want to breed it to another Chandro positive animal. And you can just test. Right. It's just a hair test that you send in and they'll tell you. Yep. Because I believe that they can be carriers for that and not show. So that was really important when I was breeding to a bull that it wasn't Chandro positive because I wasn't going to send in hair. I didn't have time for that. I yeah. didn't have time. So I really do want a dwarf one though. Really bad. They're so adorable. <laughs> I just don't understand. It's like the size of a great day. She's like the tiniest cow I've ever seen. Oh, really? I don't understand. Yeah, she's actually pretty big. How she could possibly get any shorter. Yeah, there's ones that are way shorter. So fascinating. So fascinating. So there's a whole thing about dwarfism. I actually have that link in the show notes. Please look it out. Yeah. Yeah, Chandro gene, which can lead to the calf having a fatal outcome. Bulldog dwarfism is what it's called. You really want to avoid that. And you really need to know the history of that cow and their herd. Because it's fine to own a Chandro positive bull. Like my friend had one. If you know absolutely without a doubt that your heifers and your cows are not Chandra positive, that's totally fine. Right. Average butter fat can be more like 4% and protein is around 3.51%. So it also makes it really nice to just know those numbers. And with a Dexter, you're going to get a lot less than conventional breeds. But like mine is half Dexter and she was doing at her peak without a calf on her two gallons a day, which is actually pretty good. Yeah. The problem that a lot of Dexter owners run into is that they will not let down for humans. So what you if you're calf sharing, you just have to be aware of that. And a lot of a way to get around that is to have the calf tied up and then when the cow is holding up, you can bring the calf over and have the calf nurse on one teat while you milk the other ones out. She's gonna let down for that calf. But, I mean, it's kind of a pain in the ass. So if you want to avoid the pain yeah, in the totally. asses, don't get a Dexter right. breed. <laughs> the thing about Dexters is they can be super sweet, but they're also really, really stubborn. I compare them to a pug because pugs are the same way. Yeah. Like if they don't feel like doing something, they're not going to do it. Right. They do have really hairy udders. So they're really easy to shave. So if you get your cow, yeah. the nice thing about Dexters is they're pretty bomb proof. Like I can do whatever around Dixie and she's fine with it. She doesn't care. Mm-hmm. So shaving her udder, she's never had it done before. I went ahead and did it. And she was totally fine with it. So that was been great. Yeah. yeah. And the udder hair, you just want that cleaned up for clean milking. Yeah. And it wasn't a huge deal last year when she didn't have a calf. So I bought her in milk without a calf and mm-hmm. I just kind of shaved around her teats and I would fluff up the hair so I wouldn't be pulling it. And I never got it hardly any hairs in the milk I just no. got used to it and then once I got more comfortable with her I was just like you know what I'm just gonna shave it but also because when you're calf sharing and they have a really hairy udder the calf can pull down on that hair and then strangulate that teat off and cause an infection right. it's really bad so that's why I did it. I just didn't want the calf to strangulate the teat yeah many people are working on this breed specifically for milk there's a whole Dexter family milk cow group on Facebook and there's a lot of people doing really good work. There's a ton of videos on YouTube ran specifically by this one woman. So I definitely suggest you check it out and you want to find if you are wanting to milk and it's your first milk cow and you want a Dexter, find one that's used to being milked because they can kind of be a pain in the ass if you don't know what you're doing. Yeah. Their teats are said to be a little bit shorter than like a jersey. A jersey I feel like is made for hand milking, whereas Mm -hmm. a Dexter isn't as much. So the back teats are a little bit harder for me to milk, but it's definitely doable. Unlike a whole scene, I don't see myself being able to do that by hand. So they're great. 
especially if you want to put meat in the freezer. So the next breed we have is a milking shorthorn. This is also a dual purpose breed. Like many, they originated in the UK. Like the UK is just pumping out these milk cows. <laughs> I don't know what the... T- hey, I'm not complaining. This is like... Good variety. Yeah. This is the only one that's like not named after a place. They're like, well, we already have this cow. So what can we name this cow? They're like, I don't know. It's in milk. It's got short horns. It's got short horns. All right, let's go with it. I'm sure the UK people sound very Southern. <laughs> yeah, you really did do a Southern <laughs> accent on that. <laughs> I'm sure that's how it went. Oh, Lord. Uh, they developed in the Tees River of Northern England, and they're really pretty, I think. They were first introduced in the US in 1783. They're very versatile and calm. A lot of people swear by milking sh- shorthorns. The only thing is, like, I don't think they're used to being handled as much. So people pretty much, if you have them, they're treated as like, okay, go in the field. Okay, come into the stanchion really quick and I'll milk you. And then they're like, okay, go back in the field. Like, yeah, they're not something that your family's interacting with. They're just truly made for what they're made for, which is fine. Like, if that's what you're into, that's fine. Right. They come in white, red, and road, which is just a mix of red and white. So their butter fat is at 3.8% and their protein is at 33 to 3.5%. A lot of people use them for making just a ton of yogurt on the homestead. I've seen a lot of people do that. So that's great. Yeah. This, did you know this fun fact, Stephanie? Are you ready for this? Mm. You know how we talked about cool. somatic cells? Yeah. Did you know that the milking shorthorn is the only breed to have the lowest average somatic cell counts in the U.S. and Canada? That's interesting. It's a breed-specific thing. I mean, everything. So you said that goats have a higher somatic cell count than cows. You're right, because of how the milk is produced. Exactly. So, yeah, there has to be something in the mammary glands that are making shedding less of the cell lining. Yeah. Isn't it fascinating? Interesting. I would love to know yeah. more history huh. on it, but that's all I could find about it. They're like, oh yeah, they have the lowest somatic cell counts. Especially because that was probably developed as an accident. Yeah. I'm sure it was just a happy accident. Yeah. Cause like they weren't doing lab tests. Right. You know what I mean? They're like, yeah. in 1783, huh. they're like, you know what? Right. I want less somatic cells. Let's do this. <laughs> Our next breed is the Milking Devon. And I'm so excited for this one because it's like another fun fact. So... <laughs> This originated in southwestern England. Guess where it's from, Stephanie? Don't look at the paper. Devon. Devonshire. Oh. Oh. I'm out of date on my Devonshire. English topography. Devonshire, right. England, and developed over several centuries. Again, not a very original name. They're like, it milks, and it's from right. Devon. I know. Right. Devonshire. Let's name it Milking Devonshire. And they developed over several centuries, and it was the first cattle brought from Britain. So Spain had been bringing cattle, but this was the first actual one brought from Britain. I thought that was really interesting too. Mm -hmm. So colonists brought them to the new world starting in 1623. So when you're talking about all the other ones, I was like, oh, the 1800s? Like, oh. Yeah. Because I researched the Milking Devon. I got really excited about this one. Yeah. Kind of low-key want one right now. Uh. They're a really, really hardy breed that were used from New York to Florida as oxen. And they were even used in the Oregon Trail. That's really So cool. when you die of dysentery, that <laughs> Milking Devon is going to be carrying your dead body in the wagon. Just so you know. <laughs> That's really cool. <laughs> So it makes sense. They Milking Devons do have horns. And I was like, oh, that's so exciting. When I got onto the website for the Milking Devons, they had pictures of steers with the, what would you call it? The ox carry thingy on their necks. The boards. Oh, the, yeah. God, I should know this. Words. Mm. It's like. It's a pulling harness, but there's a term for it. It's a board with holes for them to pull things. Right. But they still do that with the Milking Devons. Like, it's a huge thing that these Milking Devon people do. 
is that they use them for pull teams. Still, to this day, isn't that cool? Could you? That is really could cool. Could you imagine like yeah. pulling, tilling your field with them and then also being like, all right, go into the shoot. Let's make sure we can milk you. Like Brian and I have joked about if we ever won the lottery, how, so we visited this old farm at one point. Well, my head, my head gates that are in my stanchion. Yes. So those were from like a over a hundred year old barn, milking wow. barn. And this farm had, I mean, they, anyhow, but the, the, the grandpa or whatever, the guy who ran the farm, um, right, and the kids were all selling it. It was really sad, sad oh, story. Oh, that is but super sad. We, he gave us a little tour of the place, and his dad used to do, like, he was like, this field, you know, he ran with teams of horses or whatever. Wow. And we had talked about, like, how sad it was that this pro- this beautiful farm and ranch was, like, getting sold mm-hmm. and compartmentalized. Oh, and whatever. I hate and that, we, yeah. Brian and I were like, man, if we won the lottery, we would get that place, and then, like whatever we do with any of it, but we'd have like maybe 10 acres, maybe five acres. <laughs> we did all, all manually, just like to do the whole process all the way through. Right. Just to say you've done yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think it's, fa- I'm very fascinated by that. Yeah. And I really like that they're keeping this almost dead practice alive. Like it's not something you hear about yeah. anymore. So the milking devil, de- devil right. people, <laughs> Whoa. milking devil people. That's why you want one. <laughs> milking Devon people. Yes. I'm a heathen. Milking Devon people be lit. They're just like, yes, we're going to plow fields. It's called a triple, yeah. what is it? No, triple purpose animal, Stephanie. Meat, makes milk, labor. Right. They do it all. They carry dysentery people. I mean, <laughs> you are not missing out. Still to this day. <laughs> I'm so excited oh about God. milking Devons. So the cows weigh from 1,000 to 1,200 pounds, and the bulls reach 1,600 to 1,800 pounds. They're larger than a jersey, but smaller than a Holstein. They're bigger than I thought they yeah, were. Yeah, they're actually pretty hardy. Like, I don't know. No. I would really love to see one in person. I don't think I've ever seen one in person. Mm-hmm. Br- the Breed Association was moving away from them as a dairy animal because that's not a huge selling point, especially when you have Holsteins and jerseys. There's, like, not a lot of room for anything else. Right. So they were selling them as an animal for meat or an animal for working for a long time. But it truly is a triple purpose animal. They're calm, friendly, and very, very smart. But they do eat more than a jersey or a Dexter. But the milk is comparable to a jersey. Its butterfat is at 4%. And Do you know how? Do you know on volume? I don't know about volume. No, they didn't really say that out. I think the problem with a lot of these dual purpose breeds is like me i calf share whereas Mm -hmm. a lot of jersey people will pull calves and yeah milk and then bottle feed those calves especially holstein people that's more common practice so they can get a really good rate reading on exactly how much is coming out of the cow yeah whereas like dexter people it's really hard to say milking devil devil milking devon people it's really hard to say how much milk is coming because almost always they're calf sharing but i just really think it's cool that you can start your own ox team and calf sharing you're all about it i'm really about it you you can calf share with these animals and then you also can fill your freezer in two years most of the time so give it a look like these are all breeds that are very very good for the homestead totally so we will have all of our references in the show notes obviously like usual and lots of good ones this week on lots of different cows so let us know if you guys what cows you guys have what one's been your favorite cow and uh, hopefully this helps if you're looking to get into into dairy cows so what's your breed that you would like go out and buy today if somebody just gave you the money and the land probably still a guernsey i mean mean, like the irish ours be tempting but i was more interested in that before i met virgie and her temperament is like everything to me yeah, yeah, after having the divas, <laughs> it's like a breath. No, of I fresh haven't air. milked Virgie yet, so maybe I'll 
<laughs> Maybe She'll at the change. end of next month I'll have a different opinion. <laughs> Hilarious. But I don't think I need to ask you. Why? Because you want milking milking devils. I do want milking devils really bad. But wouldn't it be cool to be able to plow a field with them? And the thing about it, like I got on the Livestock Conservancy Association and they are right. in critical danger, Stephanie. You must save them. I must save them. Me. Just me. You personally. <laughs> I will make a case. So I'm going to make Montana only allow milking Devons from now on. <laughs> you cannot import any other cows? <laughs> it's been said. Oh, how funny. And we're going to name the state Devon. Devin. You're welcome. Devana. Devana. Okay. <laughs> We've really gone wow. there. You're welcome. <laughs> That's awesome. Well. Thanks, Stephanie. Cool. Until next time. Bye. Help it, ha- happy well, milking. Happy milking. Bye. Oh, happy milking. Bye. Bye. Bye.